Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more to share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. I am so excited to be back after my short holiday break, and I hope that you guys all had a great holiday season and rang in the new year with your family and friends and are kickstarted into 2020. I know I sure am. On this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast, you'll get to meet Kristen Primrose from Primrose Lane Farms, where they raise highland cattle, organic produce, and have started their own flower farm. Kristen shares her story of why growing flowers is a way of connecting with her mother and how she shares that connection with others. It's truly a beautiful story and it will sure to make you all just a little misty. You guys obviously know I got misty, so that's no surprise here. New year, not new me. I still cry at everything. (laughs) But before we get to today's episode, let's go over the review of the week. The review of the week comes from OBND on Apple Podcasts. This five-star rating interview says, just finished listening to my first podcast. I'm hooked. Page with Black Bear Farms gave me some fantastic ideas. Well, thank you so much for tuning into the Rural Woman Podcast. It means so much to me when I hear people say, I have never listened to a podcast before. This is my first podcast. It is so cool to know that I am your first podcast that you listen to, and I hope that you find even more podcasts to listen to because it is such a great way to share information, learn lots of things, and be entertained for the price of nothing. So make sure if you guys have not listened to Paige's episode, it's episode number 26, and be sure to leave a rating and review as well. If you guys are enjoying the show, this helps with my algorithm over on Apple and helps other people find the show. And I just wanted to say a big hello to our newest patron, Ashley Kay, and a big thank you to Tiffany for bumping up your monthly patronage for the show. Seriously, guys, every single dollar counts and it goes directly to supporting the Rural Woman podcast and getting the show on the air each and every week. So thank you again for Ashley and Tiffany for your monthly patronage. And if you guys are interested in learning more or becoming a patron, you can head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to learn more about how you can become a patron through Patreon. And without further ado, my friends, let's get to the first podcast of 2020 with Kristen Primrose. Good morning, Kristen. How are you? I'm great, Caitlin. How are you? I'm doing so good. Thank you so much for joining me on the Rural Woman podcast today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is pretty cool. (laughs) I am very excited to talk to you. Not only are you locationally very close to me, but you also have probably the coolest farm that I know of that is (laughs) closest to me. So I'm excited to get to know you more as well as for my listeners get to know you a little bit more. Thank you. (laughs) So Kristen, tell us a little bit about who you are and where you're from. Okay. Well, I grew up in Southern Alberta or Southwestern Alberta, pretty close to the Montana, BC borders. Like we're pretty tucked in here. My husband has also grew up here. So we met in high school. We actually grew up, he's one town over from me. We were born in the same hospital. He's one day older than me, but we were born in the same hospital and we were in the little nursery together, but we didn't meet till high school. 
And then we, yeah, we pretty much been together since beginning of grade 10. <laughs> After high school, we got married and we moved to the city for a little while while he was in school. We were there for about six years in Lethbridge. And then he got a job out at, we have a gas plant local to us. So he got a job at the gas plant. So we were able to move home, be closer to family. And that's when we bought five acres and we dove like headfirst into the homesteading world and just fell in love with the animals and nature and being close as we are to um, Waterton Lakes National Park, just being outdoors and with nature and raising our family here. And it's just been, the last few years have been a whirlwind (laughs) of adding more animals and gardening and farming and just a whole new world for us. But we're just so blessed to be in this community and this part of the world. You literally live in probably one of the most beautiful places in this world. So you are very, yes, very lucky. <laughs> <laughs> it is amazing out here. Like we're just just in the foothills where the prairies meet the mountains. And it's just, oh, it's a beautiful out here. So did you or your husband have any type of agricultural background before you decided to buy your land? Well, my husband, he grew up with horses. He knows horses. He trained horses, that sort of thing. But like my family, I don't even know how many generations we go back. There's farmers. (laughs) Like my grandpa was a dairy farmer. My other grandpa worked on different farms across Alberta and Saskatchewan. Myself growing up, we had cows and we had ostriches, which is a little strange for Southern Alberta, especially in the wintertime. But yeah, it was really fun growing up. So I've been around agriculture my entire life. My husband has too with horses and stuff, but he never farming cows, anything growing up. So buying land wasn't completely out of the normal then having some land for yourself and animals and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Our first goal was like horses. Like my husband had to have his horses. And after that, it just snowballed (laughs) into the whole circus of animals. So tell us more about Primrose Lane Farm now from where you started to where you are today. Well, now we started after the horses, we got chickens and then added meat birds and turkeys and pigs every year. It's kind of a new animal that comes into the farm. Now we have Highland cattle. I think we're up to 18 total, including our bull. So we have our own breeding program with that. And then just the gardening and farm and flower side of it. Once we started homesteading and started just a little more self-sufficiently, adding in, you know, vegetables and growing more. And You have expanded from the five acres, correct? It's not all of these critters on just the first five. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. So we started on the five acres and then land out here is really expensive. So it took us a long time to save and to keep our eye out for land that comes available. You have to grab it quick before it goes on the market. <laughs> and so we, we were able to find actually just down the road from where we were. So the kids didn't have to move schools or anything, uh, 55 acres. And then right after that, there was another 80 acres that our neighbor was selling. So we grabbed that too. So that's just a little bit down the road. So it's not connected to the 55 acres of our home. So yeah, we've expanded. So then there's a little bit more room for the cows and horses and they're not all squished on the five acres, but. So I want to talk more about your cows. I think Highland cows are probably the most beautiful creatures that I have ever seen. They They are are so so cool. cool. (laughs) They're just so cool. What made you and your husband decide that that was the breed of cattle that you wanted to raise? 
I think it started when we were getting more self-sufficient and wanted to have a beef cow. We kind of started looking at like different breeds and the one that kept coming up for like small, easy to handle breed was a Highland cow. And so it just kind of like (laughs) exploded from there. We actually went on a trip to Scotland and saw them for the first time, like in the Scottish Highlands, which is like the coolest experience to like see them in their natural habitat and everything. And just the quality of the meat with Highlands is like they're a premium cow. So the beef of a Highland cow has lower cholesterol, lower fat, higher omegas than a typical beef breed, even grass fed. They just have a higher quality of meat. And the way they put on fat is different than other beef cows as well because of their long hair and stuff. They don't put on the thick fat layer through winter that other beef breeds do. So their meat is more marbled, making it just lower fat content and a healthier meat all around. So that was one of the things that really drew us to them was just like the quality and the health, like a higher health standard of meat than other beef breeds. And they're beautiful to look at. Yay, are. (laughs) So, typically, how large do Highland cattle grow then? So, they are a smaller breed. So, they and a slower growing breed. So, they do take longer to reach maturity than a like an Angus cow would. So, typically, like a a cow would probably be eight hundred to a thousand pounds, where a bull would probably be 12 to 1500 pounds. So they are a little on the smaller side, but it just makes it more easy to manage and that sort of thing, less feed and yeah. How big do their horns grow? Oh, wow. They, that's, a that's just, a, it's just a random <laughs> question. Them. <laughs> it's just they, totally they, a random can, question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they can span like four feet or more and they grow with age. So like the older the cow is, the bigger and more curls they'll get as well. Where right now, I think our oldest cow is 12 years and she has a pretty good curl and span. Hers is probably about a four foot span. That's crazy. Yeah. (laughs) So what do you think some of the most unique characteristics besides the meat of these cattle are? Like personality-wise, maybe, do they have a different personality than you would think a normal beef cow would? Yeah, like, they're really calm. Like, I only have one, actually, that will actually let me brush her. (laughs) The other ones, like, they're just super calm. Even when they have calves, like, you can walk through them, and they're just super chill, and they just kind of do their own thing, and yeah. And then, I mean, their hair is pretty cool, too. I know some people weave their hair. I've never tried it. I one day would like to like weave and stuff, but I'm nowhere near that. But I have heard of people using the Highland hair for making rugs and different things like that. Very cool. So let's flip over to the flower farming side of Primrose Lane Farm <laughs> and tell us more about how you got started flower farming. Well, it's kind of a, a lot of things happened all at once. I had been growing a garden for quite a few years, mostly vegetables. And I originally like actually wanted to do like vegetable market gardening. But in this area, there's a lot of competition, um, like with the hooderites and stuff. And there was no way like I could not beat their prices and stuff. And so the few things happened all at once. Like one year I was just planted my garden as usual. And then I had a little bit of extra space left over. And so 
I threw out, it was actually chicken feed, like black oil sunflower chicken feed. So I was like, well, we'll see if these sunflowers will grow. I didn't know if the seeds had been treated or anything. So it was just kind of an experiment. And it just exploded. My garden was just full of these bright orange sunflowers. And so then I just started making bouquets with them. I, they're not the best for cut flowers. I've since learned <laughs> that black oil sunflowers aren't the best for cut flowers. But that first year, like I just, I started cutting them. My mom was sick. So I would take her weekly sunflower bouquets and it just was a way to connect with her too while she was sick. And then that's when I fell in love with just the flowers and like gardening could be so much more than just growing carrots and potatoes and stuff. And so I did fall in love with flowers that first year. That was 2015. And then over the winter of 2015 on Christmas night, actually, my mom passed away. Sorry. And so the next season, 2016, was kind of, my mom was a big gardener as well. And so I continued to grow the flowers and continue to take them to her every week. But instead of to home, it was to the cemetery. So it just continued a way for me to have that connection to my mom through gardening and through our love of flowers. She had a huge flower garden and stuff while I was growing up. And so then it just blossomed from there. Sorry, the pun. <laughs> Um, it just the joy that flowers can bring to somebody when they're grieving or when they're happy, like flowers play such an important role in every aspect of our lives, whether it's, you know, weddings, funerals, you take flowers to your daughter after her dance recital, like it, they play such an important role at, in almost every aspect of our lives that we don't really realize it. And it just snowballed, like I just continued to the more I grew, the more it actually helped me through my grief process in connecting to my mom and like just being able to have that quiet time in the garden and be surrounded by beauty and nature and just the peacefulness. And it was a way to process my thoughts and my own grief. And um, yeah, so it just continued from there. And then I just love sharing that with other people, giving other people a place where they can come and feel that peace and quiet and connect to nature themselves. And yeah, so it's just kind of taken over in a way I never, ever thought it would have. Sorry, I'm getting weepy on this. No. End. <laughs> it's hard not to. I know. Kristen, that is such a beautiful way to remember your mom and such a wonderful gift that you're giving others to connect with their loved ones. So that's lovely. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you've been listening to the Real Woman podcast, then you've heard me talk all about my favorite natural deodorant from KL Skin Naturals. But did you know that they're more than just a deodorant company? My friend Leah has amazing foot butters, yummy lip balms, dreamy skin creams, and has recently introduced brand new handmade soaps into the mix. Clean and simple, these handmade bars of soap lather richly and leave skin feeling super soft. Pure kaolin clay and activated charcoal gently cleanse away toxins, and the rustic hand-cut bars are long-lasting and smell amazing. So head on over to klskindeodorant.com and use promo code WILDROSE10 to save 10% off your next order. So... In 2016, is that when you started selling the flowers or when did you begin to market your flowers that you were growing? 
it did start in 2015. I just did like a couple, like we have a local farmer's market. It's pretty small. So I just did like a couple times that first summer, just selling my sunflowers at the local farmer's market. And then 2016, I didn't sell anything at market that year. I kind of was still just in that healing process and I just didn't have the energy (laughs) to put in that. I still grew flowers and I still gave them away, but I didn't have the energy to do uh, markets and stuff that year. So it actually wasn't until this last summer, 2019, was the first year that I really like, I was in a place mentally and emotionally where I could buckle down and focus on building my flower business. So this year was the first year that I actually did the CSA subscriptions and I did markets and garden parties and you picks and just really dove I was in the space mentally where I could just focus on it and dive in and just do it. That's great. And I know personally, your flower CSAs were beautiful because my my (laughs) mother-in-law had a flower CSA from you this summer and all of the flowers were so beautiful, so beautiful. So tell the listeners more about your CSA and what that process is, as well as some of the other events that you have on your farm. Okay, so our CSAs, we this last year we did a four-week sub- spring subscription, which was mostly like tulips and daffodils and that type of thing. And then we did a four-week, a six-week, and an eight-week summer subscriptions. So you sign up whichever amount of weeks you want, and then we deliver them to you for those amount of weeks throughout the summer. I think our most popular one was we actually did a four-week bi-weekly so you'd get them every other week, so but throughout the whole summer instead of just the first four weeks. So then you get a little bit more of the different varieties that bloom at the different times over the summer. So I think that was our most popular one, which is really fun because they change so much from week to week. Like some flowers bloom earlier in July where like the dahlias and the sunflowers and other things like that are later in August. So you get like a whole range of all the different varieties throughout the season. And then we also did garden parties, which I surprisingly really enjoyed because I'm such an introvert. (laughs) So having actual like strangers come into my property and my home is like, I thought I would be like, why am I doing this? I'm crazy. But it actually was so fun. So we'd have people come out and then we would have like treats and drinks. And then we would do like a full garden tour. I'd walk them through all the different varieties And then I just give them a pair of scissors and a vase and they just go fill their vase with just whatever they want to take home for the night, which was really cool. And I got to meet a lot of really neat people from around here. Some people came like hour and a half away to come do it. So like it was just really cool to connect with people and to see the people connecting with nature and flowers and just being a peaceful place for them just to come get out of the city for a few hours and just come and be like in quiet and nature. And then we also had you picks. We had a few this summer. So most flower farmers actually don't have open farms. And so at first I was like, I don't know, like if we could do this or not, like these other people don't do it. So why would we like, why don't they do it? And I think most of the reasons why other flower farmers don't have open farms is there is a lot of damage that can happen to the flowers and stems and branches from people walking through or from people cutting flower and then deciding they don't want that one and throwing it back in. 
So you like a value, like a money value, you do probably lose a little bit through damage and stuff. But from the you picks and the garden parties, like for me, it was worth (laughs) that little bit of loss to the flowers that could happen because just the joy people had and just seeing it on their face and just them like walking down the aisle and being like, oh, what is this kind of flower? And I'd be like, oh, well, that's a gladiolus. Or they'd be like, oh, my goodness, my grandma used to grow this. I have, you know, I forgot about this. And it just makes me think of my grandma. And just to reconnect them with those, I call them flower stories. <laughs> um, it was just, like, amazing just to see people take a minute and remember their grandma or their grandpa or their mom or dad, you know, whoever it was in their life that grew these flowers. And my sister, actually, I got her out here this summer and she got out of her vehicle and was like, what's that smell? Like, what is that? And I'm like, that's the sweet peas. And she's like, oh my goodness. Like, cause our grandma grew sweet peas down her entire house growing up. And so she's like, that smells my childhood. And, you know, she gets teary and like, it just, it brings back so many memories and just having that chance for people to reconnect with nature and with their grandparents and nostalgia and just let them have that. Like, I don't think we too often actually take time to stop and remember those things on our own. Sometimes we need a little reminder. (laughs) So it was really cool just to see people like reconnect with those memories that they had. I love that. And I love that you call them flower stories because it's so true. (laughs) Like if you see something or you smell something that's familiar, it brings back like nostalgia from your childhood or happy memories. And I just love that. That's so great. And it's so great that these events were on your farm and that you opened up your home for these people to come and have these events. So that's great. I'm really hoping you do it next summer so that I can yes. come out and yeah, see Yeah, no, we need your to get you farm. and have you bring your mother-in-law out too. Yes, yes, she would love that. So what do you think some of the biggest challenges you have faced as a flower farmer are? Well, first of all, it's probably growing in our climate here in Southern Alberta. We have a really short growing season here, which is probably about 100 days frost-free. So it it gets really tricky on the varieties we can grow, as well as the winds we get here. We've had, this last summer, we had some pretty damaging winds that knocked over a lot of our sunflowers and the sweet pea trellises. And like when I say winds, it's like 100 kilometer winds like it is today. So (laughs) it gets pretty crazy here. Just our climate's a pretty harsh climate here, being this close to the mountains. The other thing that I've kind of struggled with too is helping people understand why buying local flowers is important. Not only, you know, the local economy and shopping local and all that, but the flower industry itself like the food industry and like organics and stuff like it's pretty regulated with what you can spray on your crops and like withdrawal periods and stuff but in the flower industry there is like little to no regulation in the chemicals that can be used in growing in like the big commercial growing farms there's little no regulation there's like it's insane the amount of chemicals that get sprayed on flowers at the farm as they're growing in shipment when they ship across borders and stuff they have to spray it all again and so there's no withdrawal period there's no regulation on the amount of chemicals that they can or do spray on flowers like roses (laughs) i always say it makes me cringe i don't know i'll try not to go into a big of a rant but roses (laughs) like there's it's kind of like 
you know, like organics, there's like the top 10 dirty fruits and vegetables you should buy organic. It's kind of the same with flowers, like roses, especially like Valentine's roses are probably like the most contaminated flower. Like you should not touch those even like with a hazmat suit on, like it's insane. And so just like helping people understand, like when you buy these flowers, not only are they contaminated, then you bring them in your home and you touch them and you smell them and you're breathing that in. And like most flowers like ship from overseas, from South America, from South Africa. And so it's just like the travel miles of that flower too. So by buying local flowers from local farms, you cut down like on your carbon footprint, first of all, the chemical footprint and just all of that. So it's most people, even myself, like when I started flowers, which is crazy because with food, I knew that that's why I kind of was growing a lot of my own food, but I never thought about flowers or where they come from and how far they travel. And so like, I've been shocked at like the way the industry works and how little I knew about it before I kind of got into it. So it's just, that's one of my biggest hurdles is just teaching people and helping people understand like why it's important by local flowers. You're teaching us things, Kristen. I didn't know <laughs> half of that about flowers. So Yeah, and it's crazy. Through following you on Instagram, I've been learning this throughout your story of sharing your farm story online. So I'm always happy yeah. to be learning about new industries and the behind the scenes of where your Valentine's yeah. Day roses come from. Yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been loving the Rural Woman podcast? Are you wondering how you can support the show? Well, friend, I'm happy to announce that I've recently joined Patreon. What is Patreon? Well, it's a membership-based platform that provides a simple way for you to contribute to the Rural Woman podcast every month and get exclusive rewards in return. Memberships start as low as $2 a month. Seriously, that's less than your grande, skinny, extra hot caramel macchiato with whip. Wondering what the rewards are? Well, they include promo codes for Shop Wild Rose Farmer, draws for the Rural Woman podcast merchandise, shout outs on the show, and more. Your financial support of the Rural Woman podcast will help make it possible for the stories of women in agriculture to continue to be shared. So head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to find out more information about how you can become a patron through Patreon. So yeah. if you were looking for a local flower farm in your area, I saw that you are a member of the Flower Farmer Collective. Can you tell us about that and what that organization is and how people can find local flower farmers in their areas? Yeah, for sure. So I'm actually a part of two different organizations right now. The first one is through Florette Flowers. So on her website, she has, it's a Florette Flower Collective. You can go in, it's like an interactive map. It has a whole list of flower farmers, like it shows you the dots where they all live. So you can zoom in to your area and it will show you flower farmers in your area. Another one that I'm a part of is the Slow Flower Collective. So it's the same thing. You go on their website, Slow Flowers, and you can, yeah, search your area. You can search for key words, different things, and it just puts you in contact with flower farmers in your area that you can connect with and their websites and all their social media and all that. Very cool. So Kristen, if you could give somebody one piece of advice who was looking to start their own flower farm, what would it be? 
just to start, <laughs> like start small, just get out there, get in the dirt, get dirty and just start. Like it really is just a matter of like, you can do all the reading, you can do all the research you want, but until you actually just start with something, start small, add a little bit more every year, but just start. What do you think some of your favorite flowers to grow are? Oh, goodness. I get asked this all the time. and I don't know. (laughs) There definitely are the ones that I have a little emotion attached to them, like irises for one, lilacs. Oh, my goodness, lilacs. Sunflowers, tulips, and dahlias, I would probably say are my top. And what are the most frustrating flowers flowers to grow? I would say probably zinnias for me in our area. Like all the other flower farmers, like they're all zinnias are the easiest to grow. But (laughs) I think it's partly our climate. Like we have a short season. So to get them to really get growing and producing well, you have to start them like earlier inside. But I just this year, I don't know. It was just we didn't have a real warm summer this year either. So I don't know if that kind of added to it. But I didn't have great luck with the zinnias this year. So I was a little frustrated that it just they didn't do as good as everyone else says they do. <laughs> Isn't that the pits? It's like everybody can yeah. grow these flowers and why can't I? Me, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, Kristen, it has been so great chatting with you. My last question for you is mm-hmm. what do you think is the most rewarding part about being a farmer? For me, it's just that connection with nature and understanding what it takes to produce a flower or produce a carrot or produce beef, you know, like, and just that connection with nature and understanding it all and just just being able to see the entire process from start to finish. It's just, I don't know, for me, that's one thing that's just I've always loved about what we do is just the entire process, seeing it from start to end. That is a great answer. And I feel Mm -hmm. the same. Yeah. (laughs) Kristen, for my listeners who would like to connect with you after the episode, where can they find you? Yeah, so we're on Instagram at primrose.lane.farm. And then we're on Facebook at Primrose Lane Farm. And then just our website at primroselanefarm.ca. Yeah, we're in all those places. And I noticed on your website, Kristen, that you do sell some of your bulbs and seeds online for our Canadian listeners. So tell us more (laughs) a little bit about that before we wrap up here. This year we did do a tulip bulb sale. It's we're done now for the year because it's they need to be in the ground. But we do have some cut flower seed collections that will be on the website soon. And then I think later this week we'll probably have a dahlia bulb sale or tuber sale as well. So yeah, it's just so another way to connect and have if you want to start little, even have your own small flower garden in your own yard, it's just a perfect way. We've carefully selected the seeds that are easy to grow in our area, especially. So yeah, so it just gives you a chance to kind of grow a few of those things for yourself. Awesome. And I will put all of the links to where to follow you and find you online in the show notes so people can connect perfect. with you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kristen, for sharing your story with us here on the Rural Woman podcast today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can stay connected with me on Instagram at wildrosefarmer. 
If you love the show, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Plus, share it with a friend. We'll see you next time.